Hey, welcome to the C3 Auckland podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, head to c3church.org.nz. We hope you enjoy this message. Have you uh, ever had a moment where you have said something without thinking, maybe in like a burst of emotion, and it's like the words are like, leave in your mouth, and you're like, no, come back, come back words. Why did I say that? <laughs> I've got heaps of those stories. I'm just going to share one. It's not like a, a real bad one, but I just, um, I, I've known this couple for many years, an older couple who don't go to our church. They go to another church uh, in another part of New Zealand. And um, uh, she's got a, a name that's just a, a name that normally only um, women would have. He's got a name which uh, could be uh, like a guy's name or a girl's name. And I was introducing her to somebody else. And I've known these guys for a few years now. But I just like completely confidently, without flinching, introduced uh, her as him to these people and actually proceeded to say uh, her husband's name about her about three times to this other person. And she just stood there very graciously and just kind of like didn't say anything. But I was just like, I, I didn't realize what I'd done until afterwards. And then you had that moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I've just completely stuffed that up. That's not the kind of thing that you like, I could get away with. Like I've known them for like eight years. So it's... <laughs> Slightly awkward situation, but I'm sure we've all had those moments. Who can agree with me? You've had those moments, you're like, ah, come back words, come back. When we think about the words that we say, when we think about the significance of, of what is being said, you think about, for example, uh, a leader of government, the prime minister, when they stand before a, a group of uh, reporters or cameras or in, in front of um, parliament or in front of a, an assembly of people, they know what the implications will be if they don't accurately communicate what they have in front of them uh, and how that can impact many lives. Our words are important because they give a picture of what's going on beneath the surface, or at least they should do. That's the intention. Tonight I want to look at a scripture that I'm sure many of us have heard before, but one that perhaps many of us have passed over or missed the full scope of what, it, what has been said here. And uh, I want us to turn to uh, the letter of uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 4. We're going to start at, at verse 7, and I'm just going to sort of uh, break it down. We can put the whole scripture up if you want, um, sort of four, uh, chapter 4, 7 to 12. Um, but I want to start here. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so just bear with me. I want to lay some groundwork, get us in the zone so that we can understand what has been said. And what Paul is trying to say, he is saying here, it had nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. In other words, don't just buy into whatever is going around out there. Whatever's going on in the world, the, the things that have been said, an old wives' tale is something that just is commonly said and commonly talked about, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't buy into that kind of stuff. The things that are going on in society, the, the, the language that has been used, the things that have been advocated for, without first considering, is this, is this reality? Is this truth? Or is this just an old wives' tale? See, without trying to wade into any uh, kind of explanation on this idea of Gnosticism, which was a philosophy held by many first century Greeks uh, in the time that Paul was writing, uh, there were some pretty whack uh, beliefs of the day that most people believed. And today we would laugh at, but most of society believed uh, at that particular time, and it's been the same case right throughout history. Um, the perspectives of society, we would look back on and think, I can't believe people actually believe that. Paul is saying, 
as I said earlier, that just because a particular way of thinking holds sway with the masses today, it does not mean that it is reality. As it was in Timothy's day, one of the biggest pitfalls that Christians can so easily fall into is getting caught up in side issues, controversies, conversations that don't actually matter in light of eternity. It is on the great central truths of Jesus Christ that a person must feed their mind and nourish their soul. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. Steve. He's a beast. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I was going to say Mike McCormick, but he was not here, so I just I went to the next best option. <laughs> As an athlete trains the body, the Christian is to train the spirit, the soul and the body as well. But we have to remember that whatever you put in, you get out. What are you feeding yourself with? And what's your training schedule like? See, it doesn't take a genius to work out that if we uh, let our daily diet be consisted of KFC and M&Ms, and our, uh, our daily workout was made up of multiple sets on your uh, PS4 Pro. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to work out that things are not going to end up in a healthy state for you. Okay, moment of honesty right here across, and this is good honesty. This is nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, who tries to eat at least uh, you know, one healthy meal a day? Yeah, most of us, it's cool. Who would try and do at least maybe a couple of hours of, of exercise of some description during the week at some point? Yeah, most of us. It's good. <laughs> See, most of us are pretty aware that our physical health is important. But I tell you what, it blows me away how many Christians can't even find five minutes to spend in this and in prayer. It's the truth. Honestly, it's the truth. But I get it. It's hard. It's hard, isn't it, Pastor Scott? But we know the saying, nothing worth getting ever comes easy. And since we're talking about sayings, Paul throws one in in verse 9. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is a Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Now, vision gives pain a purpose. If we know where our life is going, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can tweet that, Pastor Fiona. <laughs> if we know where our life is going, it doesn't matter what we have to face along the journey because we have hope, and we have hope that the destination is going to be a good one. So that helps us. It keeps us going. The bonus of walking through pain, though, is that our character gets developed at the same time. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's the true price, righteousness and peace. Not status, doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. That stuff, when you get to the end of your life, is not really going to make a lot of difference. But knowing that you are in right standing with God gives you peace in your heart. Do you want to live a life that's honoring of God? a life that will bring deep and authentic fulfillment, then get ready to walk through a bit of pain.
but hold on to hope. Paul says, command and teach these things. Now, I'm, I'm trying to do some of this now. The word command is not actually like a, a directive. It's not trying to direct someone. It's actually more like a coach getting alongside someone, encouraging them, telling them what they should be doing in order to improve, to be strengthened. It's not like a, a dictator, like spelling out, you have to do this. It's like, bro, come on, do this. It's going to be awesome for you. It's going to take you to the next level. I can't make you do anything. All I can hope to do is make myself available for God to use so that he can use the words that I'm speaking right now in this moment to break through anything that seems to be in the way of what he's trying to do in our lives right now. But the word to command and teach the realities of Jesus is not just up to me or Pastor Zach or Pastor Fiona or Liam or Pastor Scott or Pastor Lisa or anybody else here who preaches. It's on all of us. Every single one of us, this applies to us as well. Paul tells us now how we do that. And we come to our main verse in the scripture, which is verse 12. It says, don't, look anyone, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone despise you because you are young. Now, this is the classic youth group scripture, isn't it? Isn't it? I've preached this scripture like so many times at primal youth churches across the country. Seriously. The thing is, though, like most scholars would agree that Timothy was actually uh, like my age or older, like in his like mid-30s. That's what most scholars seem to agree because Paul had met him like 15 years prior. Um, so, but Paul now is in his 70s. So the whole, the whole term youth is kind of relative here, isn't it really? <laughs> Coming from a 70-year-old to a 35-year-old. Um, in this case, it was age, but the same could be said for a person's gender, race, or past. What he's saying is don't develop an inferiority complex because of some area in your life that you might think is a weakness. Don't be affected by what people think of you or what you think they think of you. See, if you're a Christian, you're a servant of the Lord, and as a servant, you're a minister. So we're all called to minister. The key is to find out what you are supposed to be doing with your life. Is it music? Is it sport? Is it IT? Is it business? Is it a trade? Is it pastoral leadership? Is it government? Whatever it is, don't let anyone despise you because you are 15. Don't let anyone despise you because you're 65. Don't let anyone despise you because you're male, female, white, Māori, Indian, Samoan, Tongan, Fijian, Chinese, Mexican, don't let anyone despise you because you're an atheist before you met Christ, Stuart. Or a drug dealer. Or a hard house raver. <laughs> not me, not me, not me. <laughs> I don't know. Like back in the early 2000s, people just go to these like all night raves. I did go once or twice. <laughs> Yellowbrick Road. Yellow Who went to Yellowbrick Road? Oh, my sister's the other one. <laughs> oh, man, I've been ousted. <laughs> Don't let anyone despise you. But what? But set an example. Set an example. Don't let anyone despise you because of what they see from the outset, because none of that matters. What really matters is what's going on inside of us. Who or what has pride of place in our hearts now? Is it Jesus? If so, then the example of our lives 
will emanate him depending on how much we've given him. The advice given to Timothy and to us is the hardest to follow, but it is the only possible advice. The call to the believer is to respond to those that would look down on us by leaving them with no ability to find fault in our words or our actions. Does that make sense? Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Now, to fully grasp what has been said, we need a little more context. So we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 4 in verse 1. Paul writes these words. He says, The Spirit clearly says in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That's pretty hardcore, eh? That's just Paul being Paul. Paul loves to write things like that. He doesn't mince his words. But essentially, essentially Paul's point is to remind us that we don't live in a vacuum. The world is not simply three-dimensional. There is a fourth dimension, a spiritual realm unseen to the human eye, but no less real. Now, Western society has no real explanation uh, for the spiritual realm. The whole idea of the spiritual is not something that, that Western rationalism and reason really knows how to comprehend well. In fact, our worldview is often shaped by Hollywood. Most people's perspective of the demonic is what they see in movies. Some of these movies don't go see them seriously because they're just warped. Just think, man, who came up with that? I'll tell you who came up with it. It was, it was someone who's been listening to the wrong voice. And as a Christian, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just, this is not part of my message, but I'm just making us think right now. I used to love horror movies, seriously, when I was like a young person. 16-year-old, and I just, I just had this realization. I was like, what am I doing? I was like, dude, someone came up with this plot. Somebody came up with a storyline, and they thought about how they could just make it as horrific as possible. And I was just like, dude, that guy's messed up. I don't, want to, I don't want this kind of stuff in me. Anyway, I just think it's probably wisdom for you know, Christians to avoid putting themselves in that position. I'm not going to give you any legalism tonight, but you, know, you make your own decisions, but... Anyway, Paul is fully aware that there are evil spirits that occupy a place in our world bent on bringing ruin and destruction to human beings. But what we see in the movies is actually just a distraction from the really bad stuff. See, the reality is that the entire kingdom of darkness is built on lies and deception. Words that have no truth. Words that present a false reality of who God is and who we really are. And the danger is because the devil's been doing it forever, he's actually not that bad at it. It's the truth. He knows how to lie. In Revelation 12, 9, we get this picture of what happened before humanity turned up on the scene. The great red dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And Jesus said of Satan, he is the father of lies. When he, when he speaks, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In fact, another translation of uh, Timothy 4 verse 1 says, In later times, some will desert the faith through paying attention to spirits who can do nothing but lead people astray. That's really all the purpose that a demon has, is to try and lead people astray, deceive people. We hate it when we've been lied to. It just, it sucks. But so many people in our world are believing lies about themselves and about God every single day, and it's affecting their perspective. 
happens to us as well. Christians are not immune. We don't live in a vacuum. Not all of your thoughts are your thoughts. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 tells us that we need to take every thought captive because the battlefield is in the mind. What Paul was addressing specifically here to Timothy was the issue that, that people had made themselves at home in the church of Ephesus, but were speaking words that weren't true. What they were saying sounded good. It, it fit the vibe of culture and society, and what, you know, what the, the general thoughts sort of patterns were at the time. But that, some of that stuff just didn't add up. It didn't, it didn't connect in the way that it should, that the gospel was missing. There was something disconnected. Paul calls them hypocritical liars or false people whose characteristic is insecurity. That's something to think about right there. People whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Man, it's like full-on words. Now, what he's actually alluding to is this practice of slavery, which um, was common in the first century, this, this, which is a horrible thing, obviously, but it was commonplace in the first century, owning somebody else as your property. And if you were sold as a slave in the first century in the Roman Empire, typically your forehead was branded by a hot iron to say that you were the property of another person. But some scholars also think there's a double meaning to uh, Paul's words here. See, what's more painful, a first-degree burn or a third-degree burn? The nurse tells us, that's right. Because third-degree burns, you're numb because the nerves have all been destroyed. You can't feel anything. But you've got this big, massive burn. See, Paul is saying when a person, Christians included, believe and make a habit of believing the lies of the demonic over a period of time, their conscience is anesthetized. The voice of God becomes silent, and they are left enslaved to fear and to the devil's voice in their lives. And consequently, they are left bearing the brand of Satan that marks them as his property. Sorry, I'm just preaching what's in the scripture. I know it's heavy. <laughs> but we can do it today. We can deal with it. We're big people. So keeping this context in mind, Paul is saying to Timothy, this young leader, and to us here today, don't believe old wives' tales, things that float around our society that sound good but have no eternal value. As you train your body, train your spirit. Feed yourself a good spiritual diet. The word, feed yourself with the word, drink from the presence, and through the power of Jesus Christ, uh, discipline yourself to do what you should do and not what you shouldn't do. Thirdly, don't let anyone despise you, but set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. These are the indicators of what is going on in our hearts. We all have a measure of these in our lives, but the degree as to how they're displayed comes from what's going on inside of us. Now, I want to work backwards tonight, uh, and I could do a message on each and every single one of these, but I want to focus on, on speech. But I do want to just touch on each one quickly. I want to start with purity, because I, I get it. For many people, this is a tough one. Uh, it always has been, but let's make no mistake. Our society today has made it exceedingly difficult for the Christian who wants to live a life of sexual purity that honors the sacrifice made by Jesus to redeem our lives. But let's be fair. I'm just talking real tonight because you guys can handle it. Let's be fair. The human sex drive is a powerful vehicle, and in today's culture, there is certainly not a shortage of open roads with no speed limit on which that particular vehicle can be test-driven. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? But for those that do choose to daily manage their desires according to God's word, 
in a way that honors him, the Holy Spirit gives both grace and power to sustain that person. If this is an issue for you, and it's probably an issue for all of us, I would say, in some way, shape, or form, talk to someone. Because if you hold on to it, it just makes the problem worse, and, and, and it strangles you. It's, but as soon as you reach out and say, I need some help in this area, which we all do, I've had to do in my past, the leaders here, we've all struggled in some area, and we, we reach out and say, God, help us. And we reach out to those around us and say, we need some support here, because this is something that affects everyone. Moving on to faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is confidence, what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And in Hebrews 10, 38, the writer, uh, he's, he's quoting scripture, he says, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. See, we're coming to a time where shrinking back is going to be an option that we're going to be presented with. And we have to decide how we want to respond. When the heat comes on, when someone starts talking to you about your faith, and they're not positive, and they're not uh, that excited about the fact that you're a Christian, what are you going to do in that moment? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves on a daily basis. Again, this is a hard area for a lot of Christians. It's like, oh, I don't know what to say. It's like, well, we better start figuring out what we're going to say, because it's not going to get easier, i tell you that right now. I'm just preparing us. Look, if this offends you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm just trying to speak the Word of God here. This is, this is what we need to know. We need to be equipped as God's people. The third one is love. We sung it tonight. Most important thing. I was going to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to let that do the talking. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I have the faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Everything we do is in love. Come on, let's put our hands together for that, because that is the truth. And if we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. We don't speak the truth in judgment. We speak it in love. So purity, faith, and love. Now we move on to conduct. We all know the saying, actions speak louder than words. How do we treat people? What's our behavior like? How do we conduct our manner of life? See, when people think of you, do they see you as honest, as authentic, as having integrity, someone they can rely on, someone they can trust? someone who's out for their own agenda, or someone who genuinely cares about other people. I think about the life of Daniel, this young Jewish boy whose homeland was invaded, and he was taken prisoner. He was placed in the royal palace, the government of the king of Babylon, the most corrupt, the most uh, demonically inspired uh, kingdom that has existed on the planet. And yet this young man, through his integrity, through his conduct of life, was able to transform a kingdom and was able to impact at the highest level to see the king himself, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who had a gold statue of himself uh, built and commanded the entire kingdom to worship it. I mean, that's pretty messed up. But at the end of his life, he acknowledged God in heaven because of the influence of this young man through his conduct, through his integrity. And some of you guys are called into business. Some of you are called into government. Some of you are called to use your voice to speak 
at the highest levels of power. And it will be your conduct, it will be your integrity that will open the door for you to be able to, to minister and to speak into people's lives and to, uh, to have influence with those that can actually shape policy and make decisions for the future of this nation. And finally, speech. We've got to remember that there's a lot at stake in what we say. As Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. People die because of words spoken. Tongues can be weapons of mass destruction, launching genocide and wars. In the same way, our words can be the death of marriages, families, friendships, careers, reputations, church communities, governments, understanding, and hopes. James 3 verse 6 says, A tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Again, strong words from the Bible. But on the flip side, the tongue can be, as Proverbs 15.4 describes it, as a tree of life. Our words bring reconciliation. Where there was division and peace, where there was hostility. The tongue can bring strength and love to marriages and families, health to churches, institutes, and organizations. Words can end wars, as they did 100 years ago today. So, what's coming from our mouths goes back to what's going on in our hearts. One of the ways to figure out if you have succumbed to believing a lie, it's having to think about what's coming out of your mouth. What are you saying? What are you speaking? Have you noticed recently that you've been saying things that have taken a more cynical or bitter or angry tone? Maybe you found yourself sounding a little ungrateful, harsh, or judgmental. Luke 6.45, Jesus' own words from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, we've got to remember that we're on our own, just empty vessels, but we will be filled with something. We don't live in a vacuum. Fill your heart with the Word of God, the presence of God, and begin to watch what comes out. A loving heart produces a gracious tongue. A faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart produces a reconciling tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. But if we fail to fill ourselves in the things of God, there are plenty of other voices hovering around in the airwaves of the fourth dimension, looking to fill our hearts with a whole bunch of good ideas or epiphanies through the clips that we watch, the talkback that we listen to, the apps, the websites that we browse through, the people that we engage with who have no knowledge of God. I'm not saying that you can't do that stuff. I'm just, just saying, what, what are you filling your heart with? Do you value the words of people that don't know Jesus more than you value the words of your church community and your church friends and your church leaders? I don't know. I'm just asking a question. But today, when we talk about our speech, our words, what we say, today decide to make your mouth a fountain of life. Be slow to speak, considering carefully What's about to come out of your mouth? Is it going to build up or tear down what God is doing in a person's world? Encourage more than you critique. Seek opportunities to speak kind words to those around you. And don't back down or stay silent. 
when somebody is looking for your endorsement of something that your spirit doesn't agree with, pick your moment, but speak the truth in love. You have the power to choose. It's one of the most powerful things on the face of the planet is the power of the human being to have freedom of choice. So speak with faith. Speak for unity. Speak for righteousness. Speak for truth. Speak for Jesus Christ. Don't speak for the devil. He's got enough voices who have already been sucked into believing his garbage. Seriously. doesn't need any Christians doing his job for him. There's a lot to be said about the things that we say. So what are your words say about you? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? But the world will know us by what we say, what we do, how we say it, and how we do it. Now more than ever, we need to consider how our speech Our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity are showing the world a new kind of humanity. The humanity changed, a broken humanity, but a changed humanity. Humanity changed by the power of Jesus, His gospel, and the Holy Spirit. And 1 Timothy chapter 4 finishes with these words, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more about our church or to find out what's coming up, check out c3church.org.nz.